Welcome Back to the Drip, the podcast where four academics of color sit around and discuss Greek books. Each episode will feature a free-flowing conversation about one book that leads us to a broader conversation about race, culture, politics, all the things that keep us gabbing when we're hanging out in coffee shops, tea shops, in each other's homes. We're at Todd's place right now, so thank you, Todd, Lucia, and Bash for hosting us. Bash is a dog. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> best dog. I'm Anita Chickater, and the host for the show, and I teach in the Department of Educational Studies at Carleton College. I'm Adriana Estel. I teach in English and American Studies at Carleton, and I gotta warn y'all that, like, I don't know, I have something going on with my eyelid, and I'm slightly off my game. I'm gonna blame the <laughs> eyelid for everything. You didn't even have to, have to mention that. <laughs> they can't no see one can us. See no one would have known. It is, it is affecting my whole being. Okay. <laughs> I'm Crystal Moten, and I teach African-American history at McAllister College. My name is Todd Lawrence, and I teach in the English department at the University of St. Thomas, African-American Literature, Cultural Studies, and Folklore. Thanks. So in this episode, we're discussing Kesey Lehman's Heavy, an American memoir. Lehman is currently the Oatley Schilling Professor of English and Creative Writing at the University of Mississippi. Heavy has been shortlisted for the Andrew Carnegie Medal and the Kirkus Prize, it was named the best, one of the best books of 2018 by The Undefeated, by New York Times, Publishers Weekly, NPR, Broadly, Library Journal, The uh, Washington Post, and lots of other places. And really, it deserves all those accolades and so much more. Mm. Um, and before we get dig in, just a spoiler alert, as always, just a reminder that when we discuss our books, we will talk about everything. <laughs> so as you may know, we do call ourselves the Alt Spoilers Collective. So consider this your perpetual, universal, all-encompassing spoiler alert. In other words, we're all about the spoilers and not about summaries. No That's right. No <laughs> so as I finished reading this, I was thinking about how this is our 11th episode. Yay us! But it's actually the first book that we're reading that's written by a male-identifying author. And I think it's actually like a pretty awesome book to be discussing given the history of our podcast. And as some of you may know, we started this podcast after having this like incredible discussion of Roxane Gay's hunger. And what made that conversation so incredible, at least for me, is partly, Todd, what you said about how the book got you thinking about your own behaviors as a man, especially as a younger man, and how they contributed to a culture of misogyny and rape. And I really remember appreciating your honesty because I think a lot of the times when I talk to my male-identifying friends, it feels like somehow they always make themselves out to be this like exception, right? And I think it was like really refreshing to kind of hear you say mm -hmm. like you're not an exception, that you're part of this. Um, and I think Layman's book and our conversation, I think really gets at how do we take honest account of ourselves and the people who love us without making ourselves or those people to be monsters? Because I think p making people into monsters is kind of the other way of making people into exceptions, right? So it's mm -hmm. either like I'm an exceptionally good guy or like that guy is like horrible and that mm -hmm. person is horrible. And therefore, they're, you know, they're sort of like the problem. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that he just does such a beautiful job of like talking about people, and especially his mom, right? And like thinking about the flaws. So that's what I've been thinking about. Can I? So um, obviously we didn't, the, the first time we got together to talk about a book, uh, Roxanne Gay's Hunger, we didn't tape that. We didn't have a podcast. So I wish we would have had a podcast. <laughs> so we would have had a recording of that conversation. Um but I think what you said about this book is is so true. Um, you know, even the kind of structure of the book, the conceptualization of the book about I wanted to write a lie, yeah. but instead mm -hmm. I wrote this book, right? And, um, I, you know, as a literary uh, scholar, I've been around creative writers, you know, like my whole professional life in mm. school. I went to school at the University of Missouri for my PhD, which was, uh, is a, they had a PhD program in creative, creative writing, so there are all these, you know, poets and you know, sort of like going to be supposedly going to be famous uh, writers, you know, sort of stalking around there. And we were kind of as literary people were we were it was pretty clear uh, to us that we were not as important as the creative writers. So um, but one thing that I always have heard creators, creative writers talk about uh, my whole life is about telling the truth. Man, they always talk about telling the truth. And I would always sort of question that and be like, well, what exactly does that mean? And does that. Because I think for a lot of creative writers that I've heard say that, it means just saying what I want to say no matter who it hurts mm. or no matter what mm -hmm. what secrets it betrays about people that I know mm. or no matter yeah. what it says about people um, that might be something that, you know, they might not agree with, you know. Mm. And I don't think this book does that in any mm -hmm. way, shape, or form. Right. Um, and I think yeah. that's what's so amazing about it and one of the reasons why people 
are responding to it so uh, powerfully. <laughs> it's not, you know, a it's not a self indulgent book. Yeah. Even though he plums the depths of his memory and experience hmm. in so many different ways, like I just um, there were moments where I was like, man. Key like man, <laughs> if you if you I've you know and this is the thing like you you if you read um if you have friends who are creative writers and they write a book like I had a uh, guy I work with wrote a book about um fixing up this uh a crack house in Salt Lake City Utah it's called Sugar House uh, name is Matt Bot and when I read his book I was like dude I know you so much better now but then I was like I shouldn't say that because it's it's a book right. But I felt that way about this book, right? When I, I was like, man, Key, if you were here, I'd give you a hug, man. Mm-hmm. I would just, I don't even, I, I, I just want to express such affection, tenderness, um, thankfulness towards an author who has done this, um, created something out of their experience and his mother's and his grandmother's experience, his family, a part of the United States, you know, mm-hmm. this sort of region of the United States that has been treated, I think, so shabbily by writers um, mm. who some many of whom weren't from there, you know. Um, so I just think this is this book is a sort of amazing, uh, amazingly generous act mm. and piece of art. Um, and I'm gonna stop because I, I I'll just keep on going. No, and going I feel like it's so interesting that you say that. Like you felt like people wanted to write the truth, just like what they felt, without worrying about like the impact on others. Because I feel like I also read him in that, even in that like very first thing, as mm-hmm. talking about thinking about the audience, right, and like thinking about how as a black writer you're always writing mm-hmm. or thought to be writing to a white audience, mm-hmm. right? So in in, in mm-hmm. fact that it's actually there's already constraints mm-hmm. about like what you can say, and not because you're gonna hurt people, because in some ways. Maybe you feel like you're going to be hurt by the white audience or white things. So I think that's right. interesting that you say right. that like that was like the met, you know, kind of yeah. What it well, means to be, I don't know. And you know? a lot of these writers I'm talking about would, would be white writers yeah. too, you yeah. know. So I, I mean, maybe they're yeah. absolutely there's probably a different sort of uh, set of concerns um, yeah. that these writers were thinking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know the the sort of history of African American writers in American sort of literary scene is. Part of it is about writing the self into humanity, right? Like that's yeah. sort of the first kind of impulse of black writing in the United States. Um, and over time that that morphs, but there's always a sort of underlying concern for how you will be seen yeah. as a black person, right? Mm-hmm. You want to express yourself. You want to, um, to create texts that in some ways express who you are as a person, but then if I tell the truth about who I am, if I tell the truth about my experience, how's that going to be seen by a white audience? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Dave Chappelle paradox kind of thing, right? Like yeah. you're doing this great, great cultural critique and then you see someone on the street who's a white kid's like, hey, Dave, my dang it. You know, like mm-hmm. that, right? And you're like, oh, yeah. well, I can't do my show anymore, right? right? So that's the that's the thing that you fall into when you're trying to be really honest and, and give mm-hmm. an honest assessment of the world or yourself or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. I think what's interesting too, talking about that, right? He, um, the book is addressed to his mother, mm-hmm. um, but we actually don't learn that right away, right? Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, a good page and a half where, you know, and especially as someone who is not black, right? I felt like, oh, this is interesting. Like he's writing to me, he's writing outside the black community. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's this moment where he rips it back into his home, into these very personal relationships. And I think that's also an interesting move that um, that these first two pages make for those of us who are not from the South, who yeah. are not black. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, recognizing how out of this um, textual relationship we are. It's not just that, like, you know, he's building this relationship with his mom at, through, you know, the truth-telling he wants to do, but we've been placed and then, like, you know, like, yeah. dashed away, yeah. um, which I think is really useful and productive be- because of what you're saying, Todd, right? There's a way in which then, like, the critiques that become a part of the story he needs to tell um, right, of, you know, toxic masculinity in moments of the kind of um, self-hatred um, and the way in which he deals with that self-hatred. Um, you know, it, 
it can't be pathologized, I think, in the same way. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and I haven't figured out exactly why, you know, that's the case. But it feels, you said generous. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I think is happening, that in this needing to clarify the truth to his mother, who could not tell that truth to him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? She still can't tell the truth. He is, um, like, generously, like, providing words and language and space for them and for their family. Yeah, I think he talks, he talks about that a little bit in the video that you, mm-hmm. that you sent to us, the, where Marco Mont Hill is. Oh, we should um, put that on the website. Yeah, mm-hmm. where he, he's interviewing him and that, you know, he started interviewing his mother and his grandmother and, and that they told him stories that, um, you know, that deflected the truth or that mm-hmm. sort of obfuscated, the, I can't say that word, obfuscated the truth. <laughs> um, and that he had to go back to them with writing that he felt was, you know, truthful. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the, the, this goes back to something else that you were saying is that kind of um, the formal aspect of the book, which is that second person address in those first few pages, which is really, it's, it's unusual, right? It's yeah. unusual mm-hmm. in a book like this. Um, and it uh, has a couple of effects. Like if you're, you know, I teach a lot of uh, freshman composition, right? And and if you have a first year student who's writing that using that, um, they call it the impersonal you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you say, no, don't do that because um, the readers gonna f- might feel like um, implicated in what mm-hmm. you're saying when they shouldn't feel that way, right? Yeah. But this this does it does both that it's both a personal address to his mother, mm-hmm. which is a very personal and intimate kind of way of speaking to her about something that's really really um, sensitive. And it also implicates the reader. Right. And, and so it does these two almost opposing things at the very same time. It makes that opening chapter both extremely pers- personal and sort of exclusion excludes the reader. But it also draws the reader in in a way that the reader is going to have to grapple with. Um, yeah. You know, how you might feel when you find yourself in the middle of what seems to be a personal thing that doesn't involve you, you think. Right. But now you realize, like, it does involve you. Mm-hmm. And yes. he's obviously, not obviously, but he makes reference to this at other points in the book. The book is not just about him or his family or his mother. It's about America, America, right? exactly. Right? So that's, I mean, I think that formal uh, equality reflects that kind of layeredness of the book in that way. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, and I guess maybe I got to the the you is not about me, <laughs> maybe a little bit quicker, because I feel like in some ways, even at the end, like almost at the end of the first paragraph, he says, you know, so he starts off with like, I didn't want to write to you, I, I wanted to write a lie, but then he says, you know, I didn't want to write about us, and then there's like that line about I didn't, I wanted to write about our family's relationships, and I feel like in that, like I feel like okay, like I know that, you know, he's not talking to me, which I think kind of raises an interesting question, right? So it's this, like, intimate letter to his mother that we all get to read in some ways, and kind of what does that mm-hmm. mean, right? Like, where do we position ourselves within this kind of really intimate kind well, of story? I mean, it's, it's different. Um, you know, if you think about... I mean, there's a few texts that I can think of that are like this, right? Like, yeah. so... Um, Starts with James Baldwin, The Fire Next Time, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Down to the Cross. And mm-hmm. Tanahisi Coates, of right. course. Right, and then Tanahisi Coates. True, true. Writing Kiss and Sun. They're yeah. each a little bit different. You yeah. know, um, James Baldwin is, that's a letter that's supposed to be overheard by white people, right? Right. Yeah. And so what he's saying to his, his nephew is sort of stylized or sort of mm-hmm. formed in a way that he's really talking to white people. Right. Here, I mean, I don't think he's really talking to someone. He's really talking to his mom. mom he's right. really talking to his grandmother. Yeah. And he's really sort of uh, processing his own yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. There's a way in which I don't feel like this book addresses me at all sometimes when I'm reading mm. it, right? That it's, not, um, that it's not directed to me at all. That even I feel sometimes guilty for over... That if I were in that position mm-hmm. of overhearing. Mm-hmm. You'd feel then, guilty. Right. But mm-hmm. then at the right. very same time, that's the thing that you address does and then the whole rest of the book does hmm. is it puts me in the book in a way that now I, I don't feel guilty mm-hmm. and I think there's I don't know there's something but, amazing that happens but I do feel uncomfortable yeah right like right. so I don't feel guilty but I do feel very uncomfortable and I think part of it is like he he like he has such detail in these memories that he writes and I'm thinking just even in that very first chapter um, train 
right, where we um, get this, um, you know, I think he's somewhere around 10 in train, and he's, you know, in this house that is a neighbor's, um, and there is a young African-American girl who basically gets taken advantage of because she wants to play in the pool, right? right? And these older teenage boys, uh, you know, um, I don't even know how to talk about it, right? They go in the room, they shut the door, they say, you know, we're running a train on her. And this moment where, you know, he describes, he doesn't yet know what that means. He's caught in this, like, having to learn about sex and sexuality and male-female relationships. Um, you know, like, as a, as a bystander, like, we are in this mm-hmm. moment, but much more implicated, right? And afterwards, dealing with these feelings of, should he have done something? So Layla comes up later in the memoir, right, as he kind of tries to figure out what could he have done? Was he in a position to even step in, what would that have even looked like? And this is like, you know, like you said, this book is so much about shame, but... I didn't say it that way. You said it much better, like direct. But it it is. It's so much about shame, but it's about shame that we sometimes ought not to feel Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. shame that maybe sometimes we should feel, but we Mm -hmm. don't feel, Mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things about, I'm going to come back to what you were just saying, but one of the things Mm -hmm. about like when he's talking about his mother and the way that some of the things that she did to him. And I think there's a way that he wants her to feel some sort of like regret or shame about Mm -hmm. her behavior Mm -hmm. that she doesn't feel because she doesn't seem to feel in the or just express it to him it just express it to him right right um about you know whether it's about relationships that she's engaged in in front of him that he's witnessed or whether it's her actual treatment of him there's something he's craving from her that she's not able to give but certainly he understands i think we get clearly that he understands like why that's happening but he doesn't change that he wishes that it would be different yeah the other thing is you know these things that happen to you as you're learning about or discovering, really we're talking about sexuality most of the time, um, because, <laughs> I don't know, like, this is my experience and I don't haven't really talked to anyone who told me something completely different than this, but, I mean, the way that we learn about sex is, like, you stumble upon it, right? Like, you see it happening <laughs> accidentally <laughs> or, you know, someone touches you in a way that you don't want and then, like, you have these moments where, wait, they touched me in this way, but it feels good, maybe, but it's wrong, and all these, you know, so there's mm-hmm. all these sort of terrible, conflicting emotions that are um, connected together. It's almost like we get wired for shame, to feel shame the rest of our lives, because these um, these emotions and these uh, feelings and these reactions get like wired in the wrong way right like they get mm-hmm. like so sexual pleasure gets put on on top of um, violation and violence or what do you mm-hmm. know like these sorts of things that maybe you really shouldn't be together um but he puts us in these situations of a person a child who is encountering this mm-hmm. and wants to know the answers i mean i think yeah. to me one of the most powerful passages is when he's with he's at his grandmother's house and she wants him to write something about the uh, the book of psalms or whatever Mm -hmm. and he goes in his room and instead he writes he asks her all these questions about everything that's happened to him Mm -hmm. and um he gives it to her and she doesn't say anything right (laughs) um she i mean she in her own way tries to respond to it and they're sleep they sleep in the same bed together you know Mm -hmm. and he Mm -hmm. feels really close to her but, you know, everything, I think it's in the chapter B, which is, I can't remember. Which, Did you find it? Yeah, it's page 59. 59, mm-hmm. okay. Um, but he, yeah, on page 59, you know, right. he says, I wrote the words, be kissing me in the morning, be choking me, be running a train, be beating my back, be hearing her heart beat, be slow dancing with me, be rubbing her breasts in my mouth. Be abandoning her. Be wet dreaming about stuff that scare me. Be watching people. Be getting beaten. Be listening to trains. Be on top of me. Be on my knees. Be kissing me in the morning. Be choking me. Be kissing him at night. Be hitting hard. Be saying white folk hit the hardest. Be laughing so it won't hurt. Be eating when I'm full. Be kissing me. Be choking me. Be confusing me. And that's what he wrote. At the end he says, he writes, 
Grandmama, can you please help me with my words? Mm -hmm. I gave Grandmama the year, year, the notebook when I was done, like I had every Sunday night we spent together. Unlike on other nights, she didn't say anything about what I'd written. When she walked by me, I didn't even hear her breathing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a person who's desperate for, craving for some kind of guidance, some kind of answers, and you know why don't we do that because we don't know the answers <laughs> i mean or the answers make us tremendously uncomfortable and you know with with kids they ask the questions that we don't want to confront ourselves right right did you want to jump in crystal i saw you kind of nice. well i've just been sitting and thinking um and trying to create my own words about in return in, in regards to my response to this book and i think part of it is kind of thinking about who Kiese is writing to. And I think we've been saying, you know, his mother, um, thinking about who the you is. Um, and I really felt deeply and personally that he was writing to not only me, but to black people. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt mm -hmm. that in that first paragraph that, mm -hmm. that you mentioned, Anita, mm -hmm. um, when he says, I did not want to write about us, I thought he was talking about he didn't want to write about black people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I, I wasn't thinking, oh, this is about, yeah. yet thinking about who the us mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. um, but then jumping ahead a little bit, when we get to his time at Millsaps and he is kind of coming into his own as kind of a, um, an activist writer, um, he says on page 144, when he's all actually reflecting about uh, James Baldwin in the fire next time mm -hmm. he says um, 144 mostly I wondered what black writers weren't writing when we spent so much creative energy begging white folk mm -hmm. to change yeah and so I wondered then you know is this book the answer to mm -hmm. um, to that question mm -hmm. um, and then I began to think wow kind of thinking about you know questions of kind of race gender sexuality and the body Right. In a way mm -hmm. that um, I haven't really encountered um, mm -hmm. and in a way that kind of also felt different from Roxane Gay's hunger. I think yeah. oh, I was just going to bring that up, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it just seems like every every memory situation experience that we encounter um, the body and him grappling with his body. Mm hmm is always present mm -hmm. right and even like it and even like when you think of the title heavy mm -hmm. you know heavy the body heavy but the memories heavy mm -hmm. the experiences heavy the encounters yeah. heavy the relationships heavy the words heavy <laughs> yeah. right um it's it just cannot be separated can i build on yeah. that really mm -hmm. quickly mm -hmm. because going back to where we just were on page yeah. 60 and 61 mm -hmm. you yeah. know right after he mm -hmm. you know has this list of questions for the grandma and she can't really answer they go to sleep in the same bed mm -hmm. as todd you pointed out and um you know, she asks him why he cares about mm -hmm. his weight because he mm -hmm. asks her if 218 pounds was too fat for 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, she says it's it's just heavy enough. Heavy enough for what? Mm -hmm. Heavy enough for everything you need to be heavy enough for. Mm -hmm. And it's like this loving answer. And it's also, a, you know, a false answer in many ways, yeah. right? It avoids yeah. the actual question, mm -hmm. which is about the body's relationship to society, right? Um, to the world, and not just within that family. And to trauma. To, and, yeah. So on page yeah. sixty-one, mm -hmm. then what I caught, like, and I think you know, it's so interesting that Lehman like picks up that heavy, and you see um, he. Um, narrates how he watches the back of Grandmama's body heave in and heave out as she mm -hmm. fell asleep on the bed. And so he's really, mm -hmm. like, tying that heaviness mm -hmm. heavy mm -hmm. to this breath mm -hmm. and this kind of life, um, which is both impossible to carry and the only thing you can carry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I'm struck by these, especially, I think, his grandma, grandmama is, um, she's so, such a fascinating character and yeah. figure. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting, and I think that's probably true of his mother too, that they both are like these fountains of wisdom and knowledge yeah. at the same mm -hmm. time that they are 
really in inadequate in terms of being able to um, guide him in these other ways, you know? So, I mean, yeah. like you said, what she says about just having enough, I mean, that's like brilliant stuff, right? <laughs> like, that's really right. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It also is an incomplete answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, his mother does the same thing yeah. all the time, you know, sort of, you know, she's got this whole thing about speaking correctly and mm -hmm. how you present yourself. Mm -hmm. The novels like, that she wants him to read. Right, right, right. Wow. And it's all part of this kind of elaborate, you know, sort of um, performance that's designed to protect you from yes. the, the danger and threat of, of the white world. And um, yeah. and he, and so, I mean, there's some there's yeah. some truth to that. Mm -hmm. and, and But he rejects it, you know. Right. And I mean, I think, you know, when I was I was watching that video... I was really, it really hit me right then to see him and Mark Lamont Hill just having a conversation back and forth with each other, um, that they're both professors at prestigious universities, mm -hmm. and they both talk like me or my cousins or, you right. know, like, you know, just people mm -hmm. that I know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's not a really an, an air of, um, you know, elitism about them. Um, sort of black aristocracy. Mm -hmm. They're not like that mm -hmm. at all. Neither one of them. They're both wearing sweatshirts. Mm, right. I mean, he, he, he Lehman almost always wears a sweatshirt or like yeah. jeans and a in a vest, like mm -hmm. a puffy vest or something like that. Whenever I've seen videos of him, um, and he said in the video, like his right, mom, right, right. his, his mom was like, like "Stop dressing ridiculous." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will you just stop dressing ridiculous. Yeah, it's interesting that you use the word elitism, right? Because that's actually not what I think about when it's in terms of like you said, like black aristocracy and elitism, yeah, and like that's I, actually it's, it's not, not how right his word. mom understands it, right? Oh yeah, because no. it is about like respectability, respectability which I actually right see as different yeah. than like elitism, right? And I get why. Well, I mean, they're both professors, so on the I'm not from the I'm not from the south. Okay. And so I have like this sort of complicated relationship with black people and blackness from the South. Um, before okay. I went there, when I would, you know, I grew up in Missouri and I have had, um, you know, encounters with black people who came from the South. Okay. And to me, they always had this kind of like aristocratic Ooh, kind of thing. You know, I'm talking about in my past, not now. Uh, but they, you're from Chicago too. I'm I don't know just what you're laughing at the how people from Missouri don't, think, don't think from it's the South. South. <laughs> I, oh, I, I thought that was interesting too. Oh, oh, thank you, thank oh, you, thank you for pointing I mean, that out. I was now. totally thinking Missouri that too. Missouri is a border state. I'm talking about black people. We don't. Black Missourians don't think we're in the South. White Missourians seem to think that they're from the South. Yeah. But we, I don't. I never thought I was from the South. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like you know, if I went down to Mississippi and said like I'm from Missouri, I'm like you. They'd be like get out of here you know so um but no i mean there, there was so it might have been the, the the people that i happened to run into mm -hmm. okay. but they were really like um they were proper they um come from these you know sort of almost like black aristocratic families mm -hmm. you know in the south yeah in the south you know okay. and mm -hmm. one, one person uh, you know, a few people i'm thinking of in particular from mississippi you know mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. they had this kind of like uh, history in their family of, you know, I don't know, they were well-to-do folks and hmm. stuff like that. Anyway. Interesting. Okay. And uh, so that was kind of what I thought the South was, was like for black people, no. which was ridiculous because yeah. it doesn't make any sense at all. That's just like, you know. Anyway. So okay. it really. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but that really struck me, you know, to see yeah. these two guys and especially, I don't know where Mark Lamont Hill is from, but uh, Casey Lehman Philly? from, what's that? He went to grad school in Philly. I thought okay. he was from that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but Jackson, Mississippi, and then to talk mm -hmm. about this kind of way of being black and southern and rural. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's from ja he's from Jackson, but he Which spends is not a lot rural, of time actually. And right. he makes a point about. But he spends that, a lot so. of time in yeah. like Forest mm -hmm. and these other small right. black yeah. towns. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you know, not to have that kind of feeling like I gotta perform or project a certain way so that I'll be seen as a respectable person, mm -hmm. um, I think is really right. um, interesting. Okay, yeah. okay. Does that make sense? No, yeah, no, a, you just used the word elitism, and I was like, actually, I don't know that, like, Because I'm, I'm saying say I, per, I, per, okay. I interpreted it as elitism when I was younger, because okay. I didn't know what okay. it was, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's and I think, I, mean, I think his mom would say, you know, it's the have to do twice as yes. good to get half exactly. as good. Yes. 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 I mean, yes. so let's dig into the text to like look um, at this. And I did want to get into the like correcting thing too, right? Because I think the one place where she doesn't correct him is at the very end, which kind of comes back to like the conversation you were having earlier about kind of like speaking to his mom and like not wanting, you know, was it Adriana? You was kind of saying that Don spoke in or what, whatever, like is he's asking kind of for like an acknowledgement from his mom about oh, that like, was what tough. happened to yeah. Don Okay. Because yeah. then, um, 
228. This is like we're in that they're in that hotel room, right? Oh, where yeah. at like different points yeah. they're both kind of like looking at the door, being like, "Maybe we'll get yeah. out." And so he gets to kind of this point on uh, 228, and he says, "I'd be seeing you. I told you, especially when you think you'd be doing a good job of hiding. Maybe you'd be seeing me too." You did not correct my English because it could not be corrected. Mm-hmm. You held my hand and we hugged for longer than we'd hugged in over 80, 30 years. I was a grown man, but I was your child and fell in love again that day. And that's kind of like the end of like their conversation because then they walk out. So I thought mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting to think about like where, like that notion of mm-hmm. correction and like where like mm-hmm. that doesn't happen, right? Well, that is, but that scene is really, <laughs> it's really, I don't know, like really <laughs> fascinating, important, crazy because... They're, they're the casino. both. They're both addicted to gambling. Yeah. They're yeah. in a hotel room yeah. at the casino. Yeah. They're having this conversation, which, on some level, is seems to be honest and productive. Mm-hmm. They're both also looking at the door, trying to get the hell out of there. Yeah. At different and, times, though. Right. right? But after it's over, like he goes back to the <laughs> casino. That's right. True. That's like, true. There's not any. We know. We we yeah. might want to believe that this conversation between these two right. um, hurt people, that it's it started them on the path to solving the problem but it doesn't yeah it doesn't and i mean that's partially um his point yeah that's his point it's partially because of addiction mm-hmm. which is an illness mm-hmm. yeah. but it's partially um because of the ways that they can't really talk to each other they can't really be fully honest with each other because it's so difficult to be honest with yourself mm-hmm. and you know like i was thinking if i can go i don't and please come back to this because um, i'm gonna do take a step a a little ways away to go back to you know what you were saying about when we read hunger and what i was talking about right and i have thought a lot about you know sort of writing about this the experience and and the things that i was talking about we read that book about you know being a young man about toxic masculinity about the connections between toxic masculinity and black masculinity Mm -hmm. um how i was sort of trained into that or conditioned into that and every time I think about it, I read this book, and I was like, I can't. What would I have to I would have to say these things like this. Like, I would have to be really, really honest. Yeah. And I haven't, there's stuff I haven't told anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'm sure there's stuff that's not in this book <laughs> that, yeah. you know, he didn't yeah. tell every single thing. Yeah. But the stuff that's <laughs> in here, yeah. it's just like, it. to me, it reflects such a deep probing of the self to this point where there's like nothing but bone left, you know, like it's all exposed, you know. Which and is interesting. Yeah. To think about also what he was doing to his actual body. body. So that, that's right. an interesting yeah. metaphor to right. use. Yeah. Was there some other point in the text? You um, yeah, I was going to like take what you were saying and say, I mean, what's interesting about like that he is like just uh, everything is out there in the open or at least it feels like, right? And especially like in that conversation with the mom, 228, 229. And, you know, she says, I'm sorry for breaking you. You didn't break me, I told you. You helped make me. I helped make you. We can talk more honestly about that making. And in that moment, like, we actually as readers, I think, know that that's not true, right? Um, In this moment that he is telling about, in that moment, he still thinks it's true. And so, you know, we get to that point where they both leave the room. He says, I knew this would be my last time in a casino. By the very next page, it's not. not. So even in the kind of like burying himself, Mm -hmm. there's a kind of like letting us see the process of unburying. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. that there was lies he still had to mm-hmm. tell himself in certain moments that he's mm. telling us about, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But I actually didn't read that as a lie, right? Like I actually read that, like you know, when he's like, "You helped make me," that in some ways that it wasn't about a breaking, but it was still about like a construction of a particular kind of person who might not be, who might be broken. Is, does that make sense? Like I feel like there's like a. I I was talking about yeah. that we can talk more honestly about. Oh, that, that part. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which. You know, is aspirational, I think, at that point, and not really... Right, because I think this other thing is, like, I think he's really working against this notion of a resolution, right? That there's, like, this arc. Exactly. That's what the lie book would have been, right? The the original Mm -hmm. book that was a lie was supposed to be... sort of says that at the beginning, right? He's like, I wanted to... it's a I wanted the book to begin book. with, yeah. exactly, I wanted to begin with my weighing mm-hmm. 319 pounds and end with my weighing 165 pounds. Yeah. Right, so I think it's like... Which we, what's about. funny about that now, like kind of thinking about the whole book, is we get that chapter yeah. where he starves himself and mm-hmm. works himself to the ground mm-hmm. to get to yeah. about 165. Mm-hmm. And it's unsustainable and painful and violent to himself. 
But he doesn't, you know, like, as a person who has an addictive personality, you know, as a person who has addiction in his family, um, what I really appreciate about that whole discussion of, um, you know, like, obsessive exercising and, mm-hmm. and, and um, eating disorder um, is that he does not deny the pleasures that come from mm-hmm. the addiction, like, the process of yeah. the whole thing itself. Like, he keeps telling everyone who's asking him, he's like, I, I just love losing, losing weight. weight. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. love losing weight, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think anybody who has been, I mean, not everybody, I mean, I want to generalize what addiction is like. But, I mean, I think there are sort of rituals that we build around addiction, these sort of processes mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we build around it that mm-hmm. become pleasurable because they're part of the thing, you know. And then you get this kind of, like, positive reinforcement, especially around weight. I mean, I was uh, mm-hmm. I was ill this, this summer, and I lost, like, 45 pounds or something like that, right? And, like, I saw, I saw one of my friends, and he was like, oh, my God, you look amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I was just in the hospital. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And he's like, oh my God, have you been running? And I was like, no, I was sick. And he's like, you're so handsome. You know? <laughs> no. No, he did. But then I was like, oh but, but then I was like, that that, that felt kind of good. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. maybe I yeah. could just be sick forever, you know, you know. So I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I really mm-hmm. felt and understood when he was saying, yeah. you know, yeah. like it yeah. just feels so good to lose weight. I mean, I think he's he's talking or referring to you know, like just sort of peeling away, peeling yeah. away these layers, right. and layers are, are 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 absolutely a kind of theme of the of the mm-hmm. book. You know, mm-hmm. just how stuff stacks on top of stuff, and and even right. in the writing of the book itself. But yeah, that I just I'm really, I think it's really great, and I'm really thankful to him for not denying. I mean, this could be a book about like because how terrible that would be another lie, right? Because yeah, right? I think it would be another lie to say that we don't feel good when people positively reinforce us, even if I can mm-hmm. make this kind of cultural social critique about my body and like how people shouldn't be saying things like that but if somebody says that to me do I feel good absolutely right and I feel like that would be like you know so in some ways it's kind of this like Mm -hmm. sort of saying like somehow that I've like gotten beyond right all of these like messages that you know like that I get from society right would sort of be the lie as well right so I think it's just like an interesting thing um it's funny um oh maybe this isn't right before because the other place I was thinking about and this wasn't like this is like where I I you know speaking of like feeling uncomfortable was like that chapter when he's talking about that eating that pizza Mm -hmm. can you give us a page number um 132 when he's in college oh god yes and then like it gets put in the trash again And then, yeah. you know, and he, like, and somebody's telling him, uh, um, yeah. and what's his friend's name? I can't remember now. He said like, he's like, Mizzola. oh, Raycon, who's, like, telling him that, yeah. right? He's depressed, right? right. And he's like, mm-hmm. I'm not depressed. Not Mizzola, and then he's yeah. like, when I made it back to my room, I wanted that greasy pizza. And this is 134. Raycon mm-hmm. threw in the garbage. I thought I thought writing might distract my appetite. So I got my notebook and thought, wrote through why Reagan saying antidepressants made him feel why it was so funny. I read. I looked out the window. I felt the painted ceiling wall behind my head. I read. I looked out the window. I wrote. An hour later, I walked back down to the kitchen, dug six out of the eight slices out of the garbage, ran warm water on them, picked off the pepperoni, and warmed up my second dinner. I didn't feel depressed. I didn't feel white. I felt so free. I felt so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he gives he uses that word yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Along with free, which is a mm-hmm. real feeling. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the fantastic is the word that he got from you know earlier we see in the memoir that represents like something that feels good but isn't really good for you, right? Like it's a kind mm-hmm. of self deluding. Mm-hmm. So I mean I think every time you see that word fantastic, you even see it at the end after he has a conversation yeah. with his mom, he says it felt fantastic, I think. I think it maybe even on the last page you might use it. Um, right, it's the lie he's telling himself. Yeah. Yeah. I forget where it is. I'm not going to find it. <laughs> anyway. Um, can I ask about another phrase, actually, that mm-hmm. keeps coming up? The la- We laughed and laughed and laughed until we didn't, didn't. I think, is the mm-hmm. refrain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end, I think there's, like, some shift in that. And they kind of talked about this at that. And I kind of, I did definitely notice that, and I was kind of mm-hmm. curious about what, I don't know how, well, what people thought of that. I mean, I. Um, I'm trying well, to remember thing, where it comes up first. I, I mean, so one thing about uh, the book, and then maybe generally about and he talks about this in the video too. I think with um, Marco Mahill, and it's like there's just there's an absurdity to mm. black existence, right? And so um, laughing and laughing and laughing 
when things are not funny mm -hmm. <laughs> is a way to sort of deal with it. And act or even making um, jokes out of what is not, doesn't right. seem to be funny. Laugh right? to keep from crying. Laugh to keep from mm -hmm. crying, right? Yeah. Isn't um, this connected to that, um, you know, that chapter on... Is it um, black, abundance? black abundance? I mean, I guess it's the whole section, black okay. abundance. And I feel like it's, um, you know, we get this interesting middle school and kind of mm -hmm. high school story mm -hmm. about what it means to build um, embodied notions of black abundance mm -hmm. through play, right? Mm -hmm. With friends, through mm -hmm. like, whether like physicality on the court, mm -hmm. food mm -hmm. especially. But like what also struck me, and I, I really wanted to make sure we talked about this, because even as like he's giving us this really like intimate kind of portrait of life, which could seem unanchored from structure, like there are ways in which structure um, and American history keep popping up, right? Mm -hmm. In these really, um, um, and what's the word I want? They like, you don't expect them as a reader and then mm -hmm. suddenly they're there. Like, mm -hmm. so uh, an example, page 77, um, he's already talked about his mother's um, abuse of him, right? Or, uh, you know, the way that she hits him in order to make sure that he behaves, right? And on that page, Lathan and I love Jabari too much to tell him Ms. Stockard and some other white kids whose smiles, words, and food he loved thought he was gross. Um, instead of saying any of what I was really feeling to Ms. Stockard, a white woman who had the power to get us beaten by black women who loved us and distrusted her. Mm -hmm. I said, we understand, Ms. Stockard. And like, that is... That paragraph made me cry. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's like... What a position for these kids to be yeah. in, taking care of Jabari, right? Like, mm -hmm. and who he is and who he can be, this importance of abundance instead of grossness, right? Against a white system mm -hmm. that doesn't even really see them, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, that white system is connected to the black mothers kind of need to entrain them for the white mm -hmm. system. Yeah, and like there's that whole paragraph before that, right, when he was talking about being in his first school, which I think is more, uh, was mm. it all black? I can't yeah, remember, right? Black. So like 75. Mm -hmm. um, and he says, right, like it's just not, um, right. So the teacher says, right, I'm saying some people think Jabari is just gross. And later on, I understood, swaying there in front of Miss Stalker, that all of us at Holy Family shared stories with words, word patterns, vocal inflections, and really bodies that made us feel safe. No one at Holy Family ever used their bodies to say awesome or totally or amazing or foobar or like 50 times a day more than necessary. The narrators of our stories said fly and all that and fresh and the shit and shit and shoal and shining and trippin' and all world and living foul and musty and sorry ass and stale and ashy and getting full and crazy and nigga. And you know what I'm saying 50 times a day. There was not, oh, this was part of, oh, there wasn't a gross or anything approximating a gross in our vocabulary or our stories. Like, I thought that was... I just need to correct your yeah. pronunciation of shit. <laughs> I need to do the guy from the wire. Right? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. But I think well, what I what I like most about um, kind of this... We just, we just said, I'm sorry. Keep going. We just had an intrusion by someone coming <laughs> the house. Um, about this section was kind of the analysis these young people had, mm -hmm. even... At that yes. age. At that age, right. right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the fact that they knew they were creating their own vocabulary yes. to mm -hmm. kind of deal with kind of the, the structural stuff they were dealing with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um, kind of thinking about, you know, their black abundance yeah. um, and what that, what that meant in the context of, you know, what he says is this historical context, quirky racism and bad real racism mm -hmm. in an eighth mm -hmm. grade classroom, right? That they yeah. were aware mm -hmm. um, of what was going on. And they were aware also that they were having to perform in a certain way mm -hmm. um, because they were all always being read in a certain way. Right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I just kind of read their ability to kind of recreate their own worlds through their vocabulary. It's just like amazing. Um, yes. Amazing and 
also reminiscent of many of the little black boys and girls I grew up with, mm-hmm. right? We had our own vocabulary mm-hmm. yeah. and we mm-hmm. used that vocabulary in the face of all of this stuff that you, sought you, to destroy us. You remember back in the day when they used to have the, the hats and the shirt that said it's a black thing you wouldn't understand it. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, people mm-hmm. would be like, why? That's so, such exclusionary and why are they? And, <laughs> and that was like mm-hmm. exactly what this is, right? Like right. a yeah. way of constructing a world yeah. that belongs to you, mm-hmm. not the world that the teacher, right. you know, right. is the sort of right. uh, figure of authority and can basically destroy your whole thing, your whole blow your whole spot up. Yeah. You know, right. like mm-hmm. the coach, the mm-hmm. white coach, mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. teacher, or whatever. You create this kind of world in which you you are the authority of language, yeah. of style, yeah. of performance, of presentation, mm-hmm. and that um, that gives you power, right? right. And that gives you right. a kind of dignity. And to be able to say, like, well, you just don't understand. You mm-hmm. don't speak our language. To not have to, not have to translate right. for, or not right. be willing to translate mm-hmm. for other people. Like, if you want to be fly, you got to figure out what fly means for yourself. <laughs> right. Right. And right. I think, you know, I didn't, right. I didn't have that as a younger kid because I... I grew up mostly uh, around uh, white kids when I was younger, but when mm-hmm. I got to college mm-hmm. and I had like mm-hmm. some really really close uh, black friends, like we would talk in a way that nobody knew what we were saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the white yeah. people would be like, "What are they talking?" Right. Hey, can I and, like, can I find a good quote for that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, page ninety five, right? And like, so they're getting older. And stuff is, like, the narrative itself is getting kind of, like, scarier, right? He talks mm-hmm. about the police more and about just the dangers that there are for these young black men because of the way the police act. And in that kind of, like, page 95 towards the bottom of the page, he talks about, we all floated down I-55 creating lyrical force fields from the police mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. the police protected and served, mm-hmm. right? So here we were in one of our safe spaces watching white folks w- folk watch white police watch other white white police destroy our body. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. there is something so, um, again, like he does this thing where he first talks mm-hmm. about the way in which they are creating this language mm-hmm. and thus a lyrical force field. Yeah. It, what yeah. beautiful language. Mm-hmm. And then talks about like this yeah. outside. Because mm-hmm. that context mm-hmm. is where they were watching basically the video of Rodney King getting beat up. Right, right. In exactly. Um, yeah, and, thanks for the actual yeah, historical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and just quickly to go back to Crystal's point, like I think what I think is brilliant about Little Key is that it's not only is he kind of key. challenging, um, right, sort of the words of like the white folks, but he also pushes back on his mom, right, who says, mm-hmm. and this is on 69, and she tells him, be twice as excellent, be twice as careful from this point on. I think you thought you knew changes tomorrow, and being twice as excellent as white folk will only get you half of what they get. And he says... I already assumed that we were. I assumed that we were already twice as excellent as the white kids, mm-hmm. precisely because their library looked like a cathedral and ours was an old trailer on cinder blocks. <laughs> I thought you should have told me to be as twice as excellent as you or mm-hmm. Grandma, since mm-hmm. y'all were the most excellent people I knew. Yeah. And I think he just that was like mm-hmm. a brilliant line where yeah. he's like not just pushing them at this notion of like I need to be twice as brilliant, but even pushing yeah. against that kind of structure yeah. of that. Yeah. So, and, and, then, and then and then I just think it's so funny on the next page, on page seventy when. Uh, they're talking about governor is this my buses or may buses campaign mm-hmm. and uh, the go- the governor is one and he says you know and she's been talking about this for so long and he says I understand it now because you told me the same thing every day for the last year I'm glad Mabus won but hearing about it every day it just got to me <laughs> me what you ask me Can I say, I just want to say two things that I think... Um, You're just going to do it whatever we say, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to say two things. First of all, this book means so much to me. I'm reading this book. I'm about two years older than mm. Kiersey Lehman. And so, I mean, a lot of the stuff that he's talking about, when he's talking about watching the Rodney King mm. uh, mm-hmm. video, you know, I was I, I was in college when that, mm. when that happened. You know, I was like a sophomore or something like that. You know, so a lot of the things that he's talking about really... Um, hit home with me as a black man about the same age as him. Um, this is a book 
like, uh, you know, Colson Whitehead's Sag Harbor, really kind of like, even though that's not really about an experience that similar to mine, it's set in the sort of same mm-hmm. time of growing up that, that yeah. where I was coming of age. It's like a lot about hip hop and stuff like that. So I really felt this book from that point of view. And the other thing that I wanted to mention, which I think is really, really super important, is the way that he talks about revision yes. in this book mm-hmm. as a yeah. sort of practice of memory. Yeah. And I think yes. that that's, that's yes. why the book is so good. Yeah. Um, in that video yeah. that we referenced uh, several yeah. times mm-hmm. in the show, mm-hmm. um, he talks Which about... Which we will definitely post so you can watch it. Yes. Yes. Um, he talks about revising this manuscript at least 17 times. Well, yeah. so this was his process initially, right? So he wrote the book three times right. initially because he wrote it in the present tense, he wrote it oh. in the past tense, and he wrote it in the future tense. Wow. And then in those three drafts, then he like yeah. chose the best sentences from those three drafts wow. and that was his first draft oh, right. so everybody listening go write but also yeah. go revise go, go revise right. and if you want to read about revision read on page 86 <laughs> right. he talks right. about right but yeah. revision I know they're, they're trying to shut me down but revision <laughs> revision as a process of memory revision yeah. as a, yes. as, a yeah. as a way or a mechanism mm-hmm. to probe the, the truths of the self yeah. Like, not just a writing strategy, true, true. but something about how do you really get to the real bottom le- level truth yeah. of what you're trying to... It's revision, because mm-hmm. re- to revise mm-hmm. means to re-see. Right. That's right. All right. It revised right. thought pattern. I don't know why Amanda's being like... I cannot believe I'm trying to exactly. shut me down. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, and you're right. We should talk as, as long man. as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go there. All right. I have a lot more to say, too. But don't too. worry. <laughs> we don't have to wait too long for our next brilliant episode, because we're going to be recording a second one right after this one, where we're going to be discussing Barry Jenkins' adaptation of James Baldwin's novel of Beale Creek's... Of Beale Street could talk. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to another brand new episode of The Drip recorded at my house in icy cold St. Paul, Minnesota. The Drip is written, produced, and edited by the All Spoilers Collective, which is Anita, Adriana, Crystal, and myself. You can check out our new website, www.thedrippingspoilers.com. And thanks to Mandy down at Carlton College for designing and building that for us. You can listen to our show there, old episodes of our show as well. You can read about us and you can find all the resources on the books and authors that we discuss. Everything that we talk about in the show, you'll find it there. Our music is by Lord Jordan X out of Kansas City, Missouri. And we want to thank you all for listening to the show. Our next show on If Bill Street Could Talk will be up momentarily so you can listen to it pretty much as soon as you get done listening to this one. Run out and do that right now. We'll see you.